0: Good evening. This is Todd Greer, Executive Director of CenterVision Leadership Foundation, and this is a special edition of the Nonprofit Exchange. We are together tonight joining in with a wonderful panel of contributors to the CenterVision Leadership Foundation and our nonprofit, Performance Magazine. In just a minute we'll get with them and talk a little bit about tonight's topic which is values in the nonprofit world. But today is an extremely important day, a very special day for us at Center Vision Leadership Foundation. Today, our issue, our new issue of the magazine went live, and you can find it at nonprofitperformance.org. We're going to be getting into that issue a little bit, and each of the contributors uh, that joins me on the call has an amazing, amazing contribution for us and gives us a, a very intriguing perspective on values in the nonprofit world, and so we're just thrilled to have them with us thrilled to be able to participate with such an amazing spectrum of speakers and thought leaders as always want to remind you at Center Vision Leadership Foundation you can always find our past events at centervisionleadership.org/hangouts that's where we keep previous nonprofit exchanges and some of those include some of our panelists right here Brian Soy David Gruder and Devon Thorpe have all been past contributors to our Tuesdays at Two program, our nonprofit exchange. Always thrilled with that. Always want to remind folks Thursdays at 4 p.m. hashtag Nonprofit Chat on Twitter. You can follow us for a great discussion tomorrow at two. We have Scott Bruner, CEO of the Georgia Pharmacy Association. He's going to be talking with us about uh, volunteer management and engagement in associations. He'll be joining us back Thursday at 4 p.m. So we're really excited about that. want to take you, without further ado, into the magazine. Real quickly, the cover of our magazine, this issue, is Peter Sims. Peter is the author of Little Bets, an amazing book on innovation and creativity. He's also co-author with Bill George, former CEO of Medtronic, uh, of the book, true north your authentic leadership journey and Peter shares with us as our uh, featured guest in this issue he shares with us how we can engage our true north we have amazing contributors including David Burkus, Larry Dill, Roberta Gilbert, Lynn Wooten and and a couple guys uh, that you'll see here even tonight Baloo and Devin Thorpe and uh, our co-publisher Jeff McGee also in that issue are some brilliant thinkers that we have on the line with us today just a, a brief insight into them we are joined tonight by David Gruter David has an article on page 22 of the magazine the secret sauce of engagement we are joined by Ev Worthington with his article on page 12 forgiveness in churches and nonprofits and we are in our, our with us is uh, Bob Fox Bob is uh, you can find his article on page 13 workspace impacts work culture. Just as a uh, a quick show ahead, in March 2015 we're going to be featuring an issue on Millennials in the nonprofit world. Our featured guest that time will be Frances Hesselbein. Frances is the CEO of Frances Hesselbein Leadership Institute and she is an amazing guest. She'll be with us on that. Joan Cole, founder of Why Millennials Matter. Sarah Cunningham, author of The Well Balanced World Changer, and Derek Feldman, president of Achieve and co author of Cause for Change. Some amazing articles here. Don't want to spend too much time going into those because we have some amazing, amazing contributors here with us right now, and I want to go right to them. Guys, we are are so thrilled to have you. From my left, we have Bob Fox. Bob is the principal of Fox Architects in the metro D.C. area. Bob is also the publisher of one of the finest work culture magazines or information outlets that I've seen, work design magazine. Uh, Bob, we are thrilled to have you with us. We've got Brian Soy. Brian is the principal of Aspire. Brian is a designer, a strategist, a thinker du jour, and we are thrilled. Brian's also the author of – wait, raise your voice right behind me here. Uh, he's been a previous guest with us. Right next to him is David Gruder, Dr. David Gruder, the integrity expert. Uh, Dr. Gruder is a psychologist, organizational psychologist. He's a strategist. He's a consultant. He, uh, I, I was going to say he slices dices and he makes uh, pizza in 30 different languages or something like that. Next to him is Devin Thorpe. Devin Thorpe is all about making your mark on the world. He is our purveyor of social good. He is our crowdfunding expert, and we are thrilled to have Devin with us. Next to him is Everett Worthington. Ev is a professor of psychology at Virginia Commonwealth University and a guru, an expert when it comes to the research on forgiveness. He is an amazing man, a personal mentor in our family, and we appreciate, Ev, you being with us tonight. And finally, last but not least, we are joined by our founder of CenterVision Leadership Foundation, our chair, Hugh Balu. Hugh is a consultant, a strategist. He is a maestro, the orchestra conductor du jour of leadership. He is the founder of CenterVision, CenterVision Leadership Foundation. He's the co-publisher of Nonprofit Performance Magazine, and we're thrilled to have him on point, guys. What a blessing it is to be able to have you guys in tonight. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. As we move from left to right, I want to give each of our contributors just about two minutes to talk briefly about values from their unique position. Bob, if you would start us out, talk a little bit about values from the perspective of your work, both as a publisher as well as uh, an architect.
1: Well, Todd, thanks. Um, I'm excited to be here and uh, just thrilled to be able to talk about this subject. Um, I I think if you look at my world, um, you know, I'm really looking at the world through the physical environment. So, you know, we we design office space, um, you know, and I get the chance to go out and take a look at some great spaces around the world. But I think the important thing from you know, the point of the article and I think the value aspect of it is um, you know, space is one of those things that really kind of captures and reflects um, you know, the values of an organization or the culture of an organization. And uh, I had the, the great experience of participating um, in a group that was called Case for Space. And uh, it just resulted in a book that was published in October called Change Your Space, Change Your Culture. And, you know, we started out by looking at what are the drivers that affect performance in the workplace, and we pretty quickly got onto the engagement issue and looked at a lot of things that really kind of were derived from leadership values. And so those leadership values and the work environment that you're in really have to be consistent um, in order for an organization to function properly. And so I think that's one of the most important things, um, I think, from our perspective and from the way that I look at the world, um, you know, that really kind of drives um, organizational performance.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Bob. Brian, talk to us a little bit about what it looks like from the aspect of designing both publications, designing websites, as well as working through strategy with nonprofits.
2: Yeah, It really goes back to just the whole communication framework that, uh, you know, is based in the values of the organizations that we work with. So, you know, if if we find an organization and they can't articulate their values, we historically find they have a hard time communicating what it is, you know, why they matter, what it is they're doing, what their mission is, what their purpose is. So, we, we always press back into finding that core of their organization and... Um, using using that core set of values as their filter then for them to communicate through.
0: Awesome. David, how does this work from your perspective as a consultant, as a strategist? And I'm not hearing you, David. He's he's waiting. He's All right, we'll move. It. We'll move next to Devin, and we'll come on back. Devin, how, did, how does this work for you as a a crowdfunding expert? As somebody who's I call you a purveyor of social good, how does that work? Values in your world.
3: Well, I think values are central to what I do. Uh, what I do is I help people who are. Uh, Cause-oriented people, and so I write about that on my websites, uh, yourmarkontheworld.com, my social good news, good crowd info, and on Forbes. So I'm always talking about this, but but nothing is more foundational than those values, and and I always like to explore this with the people I interview. I I've got a show where I've interviewed now over 400 people, and and I. I've, I found that the interesting thing is to talk to people about why they do what they do, and it comes down to those values, so it is just central, Todd.
0: Fantastic. David, we're going to bounce back, and I think we're live now. Great. Your volume's there. David, as, as a strategist, as a consultant, even from the perspective of psychology, h- how do values come into your work? Well, I'd first like to make sure that
4: you can hear me now. Great. so. Uh, for me, there are two dimensions to values. One has to do with the values alignment among the individuals whose personal values are going to be influencing the businesses or the nonprofits' values, and how aligned are the nonprofits' values and the individuals' values. Even more importantly, in some ways, than that, the values issue for me is a practical one. It really has to do with how we walk our talk. And I've seen too many organizations who have taken the time to articulate really delicious, magnificent values and haven't taken that same amount of time and effort to convert those values into skills and the skills into procedures that actually enable them to act the way they say they want to act. And t- that to me is the key in values, is that translation from a good intention and a noble, uh, a noble purpose into how it's actually lived and acted upon in a day-to-day way.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Moving on, Everett Worthington. Ev, in your world both as a, a professor as well as a researcher in, in the realm of forgiveness, how, how do values come into, uh, into tact in your world?
5: Well, I think values are crucial, uh, both in my uh, practice of psychology as a counseling psychologist and also as a researcher. Um, as a uh, person who does counseling, there have, had historically been three value positions, and one of those is to try to be value free. Problem is, that can't work. We can't be value-free. And so the next uh, line of attack was to be value-neutral and and to try (laughs) to get into the person's frame of reference and and, uh, be in their frame of reference. And the problem with that is the small one. That one doesn't work either. And so the third approach in counseling is to to take a value-informed stance in which you help the person who is seeking help to understand what your values are as a helper and to try to to make sure that they can make informed decisions about the advice you give. As a counseling psychologist, uh, our program, we train people to be scientists, practitioners, and leaders, and my belief is that good leadership depends on four qualities. One of those is a Foundation, a bedrock foundation of good values. A second is a, having a moral GPS system that reorients us toward our values when things get emotional and decisions get difficult. Third, to be able to help people build a consensus. And fourth, to have a good vision that is undergirded by values that people can build a consensus around.
0: Great. That's fantastic. Hugh, uh, in in your work both as a a consultant strategist as well as the work of Center Vision Leadership Foundation, how do values enter into your world?
6: Values are that foundational piece that as we work with cultures, and as you mentioned, um, I spent 40 years as a musical conductor, and if we're not aligned in the culture, if we don't have the same set of values that we honor, that we compromise the final product that we have. So in my four leadership principles, the first one is foundations. That's the alignment. Our personal values must align with the corporate values. The organization values, if they're in conflict with our own values, will never work. So the foundations, relationships, it builds relationships when we have that commonality of values. Systems, we rehearse. Yes, we rehearse. That's a value. We must rehearse before we go live because we want to do our best. And fourth is balance. So honoring our bodies spiritually, mentally, physically, and also valuing the balance that everybody participates. So there's, there's lots of ways that values become a part of the leadership structure as a system of an organization, of the higher functioning culture. As Murray Bowen, the, the psychiatrist, defined in his family systems, you know, it's differentiation of self. Who are we and what do we stand for? Now the danger here is that values are static, trust, honor, fairness. We we create these static statements, we feel good, and we put them away. Mm -hmm. So typically I find that organizations, even though they've done the exercise in their strategy process, they don't really resonate with them. And most of the leaders that I, I talk to don't have values. They haven't thought about them or articulated them personal values or corporate values. So we take values and we... We move them into what Owen called guiding principles. These are active statements of how we apply those values. So the alignment, the foundation, the clarity, the structure of the culture is centered on those guiding principles. So it's how we make decisions together as an organization. So moving from this core value, which is essential in the alignment of that, to then applying them in an active way by defining the the organization's guiding principles, I think is the missing piece that's so essential to avoiding some of the conflict that we as leaders set up because we aren't clear.
0: Fantastic. I want to jump right in now, and we're going to do basically just kind of a a round-robin here so it Uh, speaks to you, hop in on on this conversation here. I want to share with you guys something, and it's a little bit off of of what I I sent you guys in in a preview. Just um, finished up today a a book by Frances Hesselbein. Uh, In that book, Frances talks about values, and she says values absolutely are the core of who we are as individuals and organizations. The challenge for us is to be relevant with how we enact those values in a new environment. Would love to hear some responses about the struggles that we have. We're talking about nonprofits, we're talking about churches, we're talking about educational institutions, we're talking about organizations that tend to be very slow when it comes to change. How do we enact change and still maintain those values?
1: Well, Todd, I think the uh, the workplace is where all of those things come crashing together, and uh, you know it's important that I think there is a open dialogue and uh, you know a trusting you know that occurs um, you know in those relationships of how people interact in those organizations, and uh, you know the workplace uh, I think is something that the, the physical environment needs to kind of support and reinforce. So. You can't have the leader sitting in a big private office, you know, talking about transparency or, you know, the leader sitting in a big private enclosed office with, you know, three tiers of hierarchies that you have to go through to get to him because, um, you know, that's obviously going to break down that level of trust, you know, within that organization. So the leaders really need to be out there, you know, transparent, visible, front and center, um, you know, in order to really kind of stimulate that dialogue and, and get the best performance out of his people.
0: Fantastic. I think yeah, it's spot the,
6: on. I, I want to piggyback off what, what he so brilliantly articulated, if it's not part of the culture, if it's not part of what's been uh, co-created and agreed upon, and then as we agree upon it and share it openly, the tr- part of the transparency, Bob, I think is the peer-to-peer accountability and the, the up-and-down accountability from the leader down. Like you said, you can't hide in an office, take a big salary and ignore everybody and expect people to, to, to uh, adhere to some values when you're not living them out. So I think that's essential. I also think on top of that is having open and, and very direct dialogue about those. And so people are part of shaping that and honoring that and maintaining that.
1: Yeah, the accountability question, I think, is um, huge. And, uh, you know, it's the um, type of thing where, um, you know, I, I like to define culture as it's the minimum set of values that the organization accepts. And so if somebody's not there to say, hey, wait a minute. That's wrong. Don't do that. Um, you know, and there's a, a very long time lag before that kind of conversation takes place, um, the culture is going to deteriorate within that organization.
4: Well, you know, in terms of the change process, uh, I agree. I've worked with nonprofits where, uh, where nimbleness has not been the, uh, the, the operating approach. And what I find is that when there's a difficulty or resistance in change, it's usually connected to people having lost track of the underlying intention that are being weighed or uh, against the change that's being considered. So when a nonprofit is involved in looking at a different strategy or a different set of tactics in order to further and forward its mission. I find that it's very, very helpful for the nonprofit to briefly revisit its guiding principles so that everyone is on the same page first about how their decision making is going to be guided and then as they're considering change alternatives there's more of a sense, I find, of, uh, of support and forward movement because there's a context or a backdrop through which change can make sense or seem improved in certain situations.
5: So, let me take a different uh, slant on things and that's uh, what happens if somebody perceives that the values of the organization in some way has been violated. You know, how do you deal with these transgressions against the fundamental values? How does the leader of the organization deal with a transgression of values by someone who works for him or her? You know, and how do people deal with these transgressions that they see this leader in the, uh, you know, the glass office three levels away from any communication. Um, And and I think that, um, you know, trust gets eroded when people perceive that these values are violated and some mechanisms have to be put into place to restore that trust. I think that forgiveness is one of those mechanisms that can happen. Forgiveness, I believe, happens inside of individual people. Uh, They uh, decide that they are going to not hold a grudge and treat the other person as a valuable person, even though they may disagree with what the person did. But beyond forgiveness, there also has to be some effort at restoring the trust, and that's going to involve interpersonal uh, processes like admitting wrongs, uh, not seeking vengeance, or you know, we usually call it justice if we're the ones that got offended, but, uh, you know, to pursue uh, mercy instead of uh, always just unremitting justice. So that's just uh, a different slant on uh, or a different place in the process there.
4: I think that goes back to core values as well, what you're raising on forgiveness, which is that an organization where there really is a well-installed core value around uh, the people in the organization being well-intended individuals who are like all individuals capable of what I call loving mistakes good intentions, mistaken expressions, then when there's a breakdown that occurs we can realign with what the intention had been and how the actions just simply unintentionally didn't align with or promote that intention as effectively as the person had meant to.
1: Yeah, David, you used the word align, and uh, I think that's a big part of it, is that there has to be, I think, a consistent and repeated, um, you know, set of values, and they have to be treated at different levels the same way, um, you know, or else that those values then begin to erode. You
3: know, Todd, I think Your question, as I recall, was, how do we incorporate change without damaging uh, the existing set of values? And that really is a good question, and I think in some organizations, the change is hung up uh, not by so much cultural issues as by practical ones, oftentimes resources there isn't a nonprofit in the world that wouldn't tell you it's constrained by resources including those that have billions of dollars they all feel constrained and so creating a new source of revenue that uh, to fund a new project can really help to catalyze change and for a lot of nonprofits and, and, and churches that new source of revenue can be crowdfunding and so that's why I always tell people that you know, no develop. You know, a, a crowdfunding plan is not a complete development plan, mm-hmm. but no development plan is complete without crowdfunding. Now, and it, it just it helps to catalyze that change that might otherwise be uh, tripping only over that practical constraint of cash.
0: That's an interesting perspective here, Devin. Because really, when we talk about the changing context that surrounds us, we're talking about these new things that come to us and, and and truly when we talk about crowdfunding it's one of those very new things that's changing. Um, Bob and I have, have had conversations about the co-working space and, and um, entities like that, that um, maybe provide a new opportunity for a, an organization who shouldn't have their own facility but can work in a shared environment with others and you know, we think about um, ha- having folks that are are outside strategists rather than inside strategists, having designers outside the firm instead of inside. All of these things that we see are really about responding to changes in context. So I think this is a a great discussion for us to be able to think about we're able to maintain the core of who we are and still be able to change as the context around us changes. I I want to move... Uh I'm sorry. Back on
6: that before you move on, um, just to piggyback on on Everett, well, all of them who had comments. Um, I believe that we're in a we're in a, a situation where the world is constantly in flux and it's changing, and we don't want to sacrifice those values that we hold dear that actually brought us together with the organization. And if we didn't have them, would be an exit strategy for for some people. And in the transparency piece, what I find over and over and over is once the groups have their core values and they start developing the set of guiding principles, they realize that it's not top-down autocratic, that you've empowered people to function at a higher level. And as they articulate these guiding principles, they also articulate that it's the safe space to hold each other accountable and have dialogue. And so, Everett, I'm really anchoring on this, this culture piece that you mentioned. But we often look to the leader as the only person that can say, oh, that's out of line, when really it's a cultural norm that we co-create and we hold ourselves accountable for. And to say one of our guiding principles is we're going we're to evaluate these and update them as needed. So the, 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 the transformation rather than change comes organically throughout the organization by common consent. So I think there's, there's a lot of wisdom in these statements, but I think that involving the culture itself in defining itself and maintaining, and the mechanisms that Everett mentioned are so critical.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. I know Ev has another uh, commitment that he has to go to uh, shortly. Ev, we certainly appreciate you being with us. Uh, stay as long as you can. Leave when you've got to. We understand. I, I hate to leave.
5: This is good.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. This is the fun of of this kind of a discussion. I want to kind of segue slightly just from Hugh's point here, and I think this is an interesting one. A lot of times when we think about alignment and value alignment, we talk about people who are on the same page. I want to flip the script slightly, and I want to hear responses to this. How important is it for leaders to surround themselves with other organizational members who see the world differently than they do. David, I see you shaking your head. Why don't you go sure. ahead and take that one first. Uh,
4: sure, I'll start off. Uh, I, I think it's absolutely crucial uh, because uh, I, I'm reminded of a uh, of a line from um, some movie decades and decades ago that Elvis Presley was acting in and the character he was playing turns to some other character in the movie and and he says, I like you, you're just like me. And when, when we, all we get is our own reflection back in the mirror, then we're really not getting the kind of enrichment and synergy that's so crucial to organizational uh, upgrading and organizational effectiveness. I think where there needs to be this, this intersection, however, is between the need for diversity in perspectives and, uh, and cultures and uh, fields and lenses that people look through and temperament on, on the one hand and uniformity or alignment in terms of shared values and intentions. When you get that kind of alchemical blend of shared values and intentions and really marvelous diversity in terms of how those values and intentions get to be expressed and enacted with a good facilitator, magic happens.
5: You know, I I hate to do this, but, uh, you know, being in academics, we have plenty of diversity of opinion, let me tell you, (laughs) and nobody is shy about sharing that. So, you know, as a leader of a group, I'd be interested in your all's perspective about so how do you corral the, the lions, so to speak? How, how do you keep the diversity coming but uh, have some kind of unity of, of purpose and, and march toward a common mission? So I'm sticking around to hear the answers to this. Yeah, you know, I'm just I'm just looking at this group of guys
1: here. And we're all 50 plus something white guys, and there's no diversity here. To share some insight with that, <laughs>
2: yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know if, from from my perspective if diversity is the right word, but it would be more of uh, you know back to what you were saying, David, with it's it's shared values alignment, and I want to surround myself with people whose values are similar to mine, and I want the groups that I'm involved with to do the same but I want them to also surround themselves with people who have different perspectives. Um, I want people looking outside the bottle as well as, you know, they know what what it's like inside the bottle, but we need people who can look outside the bottle and and see differently, you know, skeptically, uh, you know, just discern what is different from audience perspective, from participant perspective, not just from the leadership perspective because as a leader of any organization, if all you see is from the inside of the bottle, um, whether you call it diversity or perspective, you're not seeing everything.
1: Yeah, Brian, I think that's a great point. Um, You know, I think that the values need to be aligned, but the the perspectives and the viewpoints need to be different. Um, You know, and I I think that's the thing that gives us, I think, the opportunity to expand our viewpoints. I think the other thing within the organization is how you deal with conflict. Uh, because inevitably you are going to have that conflict, and you know if the organization doesn't have a protocol or a set of values that's going to handle that conflict in a healthy way, that conflict in a healthy way, um, then it becomes problematic.
4: Yeah. Uh, let me double back to a couple of things. Number one, you know we've got um, the comment about us uh, all uh, this this group of old white guys, and uh, and I completely agree. I I noticed that as well. And yet, at the same time, because of uh, I'm noticing really important differences in the lenses that we're all looking through. So even a bunch of old white guys have a lot of diversity in them too. And I don't want uh, uh, age and, and skin color to be, or ethnicity to be the uh, only determining factor in diversity. The other question to double back uh, uh, is about um, how do you herd cats? And uh, or how do you herd lions? And uh, cats can be herded. I, I've been a professional cat herder my whole career. But what I have found is that the prerequisite to effective cat herding is cats being willing to be herded. And they only become willing to be herded, in my experience, when they have taken the time to carve out their own collective clarity about what their guiding intentions and guiding principles are as a group, so that there's that touchstone that they can call each other back to when the respective cats or lions start, uh, start diverging too far away from the, uh, from the intentions.
6: And, and, Everett, I think that's a really good question. I, I served the church for 40 years in music ministry, and I think it comes a close second to academia, <laughs> having people with it. and And, and um, the, the, the fictitious topic of conflict, you know, we deal with too. Um, so what I do when I work externally with groups is we to redefine. Conflict is really the sign of energy. I and mean, We don't eliminate it. We manage it unless, you, you know, you work in a cemetery we manage it and we reframe conflict as a creative tool and not a weapon but we also set channels Here's, this is off limits this is this is what we're dealing with today and this is the channel we're in and I very much agree with David having these, these touchstones that we can write up and have visible and every time we gather we review at least one of them do we still hold this value or this principle as, as being valid and how are we doing at holding that so I think it's a constant conversation and back to Murray Bowen and not being anxious, the leader being anxious spreads that through the culture and so we as leaders impact everybody around us by our behavior.
0: Great, yeah I think this is a, a really intriguing idea here and a concept because I'm thinking about Bob particularly the work that you do as an architect you have to bring a ton of different people who see things differently to the table And you have to be able to see how your part fits into the overall structure. I think that's one of those pieces with a leader. A leader helps people to see the vision of the overall structure and then helps connect that overall structure to the individual and how they're playing a role in that part. So I think we're having some some fantastic discussion here. I think this is a really important thing for leaders in all types of organizations, whether we're talking about the the, the social, we're talking about the governmental, we're talking about the for-profit sector. We've got to be able to connect these pieces together, the, the individual to the, the greater vision.
1: Yeah, Todd, I think um, you know, a lot of the work that we do today, um, we're dealing with organizations that are just going through massive amounts of change. Um, you know, having been in some older you know, traditional office environments for many years, to go to you know a much more flexible type of a work environment is a huge hurdle for a lot of individuals to get over. Um, the only way we can really do that is by bringing those people together, and listening to them, trying to understand you know all the different uh, components or the tasks or the activities that they're involved in, and then um, you know kind of you know taking the space and mocking it up and then letting them you know, actually test it out, and then collecting the feedback and the data, and then evolving that space as we go through it. Um, you know, In those types of situations, um, you know, we find we learn a lot more about the organization, can create space that's really much more appropriate for that type of organization. And then everybody feels like they've played a part in it and have contributed to it. So, so it's much more valuable to them you
6: know, having gone through a process like that. I'm wondering if there's more to hear from Devin on the, um, the resources, because um, I find that when there's there's a challenge with change that money, you work in the crowdfunding and, and you talked about resources, no matter where people were, that was a challenge, but I think that money is also a magnifier when you don't have it or do have it. It's a magnifier for when you're not aligned and when you're not um, thankful for the resources you have and if you're not agreed about how you're going to going work with those, regardless of where they are.
3: Well, I think that <clears throat> you're absolutely right, Hugh, Then there's one of the ways I think that manifests itself is in the impact whatever impact you're seeking to have if you lack alignment if you lack the consensus around values as the money comes in it gets frittered squandered and it isn't used in an impactful way and so you see that in outcomes I think in a very genuine and quick sense Uh, and, and that's why I think money is a great source of discipline for an organization and forcing them to align and have have some impact. and That's why I think I see as I'm sure all of you do there are so many great organizations that in fact are having impact because so often in in nonprofits and in churches you see a great unanimity a great passion around, around the cause even though two causes may have uh, op- opposed uh, objectives. In fact, the internal uh, I see, typically, sort of, certainly not universally, typically, uh, very well aligned principles that lead to great outcomes.
0: That's I Want to move into the next question here? Uh, I know we're we're wrapping up closely here with time. Question I have is how or or when when we're successful how will we see our values played out in our organization? When we're successful, how will we see our values played out in an organization? I'll
2: go first here. Um, I, in, in writing the book, in writing raise your voice and then on the writing i'm doing a lot of what i try to do is simplify things down to the bare essence and and my answer for your question would simply be uh, values define character character defines culture Ooh. and culture is going to be our character in action so when everything's aligned the way we're acting and behaving is going to be com- in complete alignment with those values and that that can serve as a great like a plumb line uh, To to show whether or not we are true or not. Wow.
4: What I see in terms of results, I agree with that. And um, in terms of results, I see the same thing, the same dynamic in operation in individuals as I do with organizations. That when an individual is really in mission, when they are truly coherent in how they show up. They attract like-minded people, like-minded customers, like-minded followers, uh, and uh, passionate fans. And the same thing is what I've seen with organizations. The more the more um, clear and aligned and embodied an organization is with its mission, the greater the number of, of passionate Followers and volunteers and um, uh, job applicants there tend to be, and and with that, the greater amount of
1: problem there tends to be. You know, Todd, I'm just thinking about your question, and um, you know, I think there—that's probably a sports analogy, because um, I'm just thinking like the Washington Redskins aren't doing very well right now, and I think that's an alignment, you know, thing. Um, You know, they've changed the leadership so many times in that organization that, you know, it's just hard to get everybody, you know, um, together. You know, where you look at something like the Denver Broncos, and they're having a great season. You know, so I, I think you see it in the performance of the organization and, you know, the way that people kind of get behind it and support it.
3: I think, I think Bob hit the nail on the head really and from my perspective, y- you see it in outcomes, you see it in impact and so as an organization is trying to achieve success, it really ultimately ought to be me- measuring the right kinds of things, right? It ought to be measuring real impact in a meaningful way. If you're, a, if you're trying to help women uh, who are uh, poor women, for instance, you ought to be tracking the number of women that you uh, lift out of poverty, that escape from poverty, and, and if you're keeping track of that, measuring it, and your values are all aligned, you ought to be able to measure progress and scale that over time.
6: Let me come back to a, a, a musical analogy. Um, when, you, when you have um, a choir or an orchestra that functions on a higher level because we have this alignment we have this, we understand the core values, we understand the principles, and we, we function on a higher level, and the leader is an influencer, not a dictator. The leader allows people to function in a space that the conductor can't conduct and the leader can't lead. In music we call that ensemble, that intangible excellence that comes from the inspiration of a leader and the alignment of the culture. In a non-musical setting, uh, I call it synergy, Maybe may be a better name, but that's why I coined them and and trademarked center vision because it's the the synergy out of the common vision. And the common vision is is based on the core values and the alignment of the culture. So I agree with everybody that went up before me, but that word ensemble for me captures what happens when you come into this total alignment. You can perform it at a level of excellence that nobody else can.
0: Great point here. I want to show value for everybody's time. I really appreciate uh, the the great dialogue that we've had here tonight. I think there's an amazing sense here that we're able to even, uh, across spectrums, across work professions, across uh, even individual ideas, we're able to have some bedrock values that uh, bind us together, even while we see things from different perspectives. Uh, Bob uh, and then Brian and then David and Devin, and Hugh just want to give you one last uh, statement here that you'd like to make to the the, the vision community uh, please uh, just go ahead rapid fire here.
1: Um, I think from my perspective uh, you know the, um, the work environment one of those areas where all these values come crashing together and I think you know like everyone was talking about uh, you know the culture, the values, all of those things need to be in alignment. And I think that the, the space that's my world um, really helps to set the context for, for that culture and for that, the, the values.
4: My closing message is for those who are the action takers uh, in the nonprofit world. It's about, for, for you, you know, if you're an action taker, it's about doing it. Get it done, get it done. And my message to you is don't underestimate the incredible importance of articulating and referring back to values and guiding principles over and over again in the implementation process. Even though that takes more time, it's actually much more efficient than just doing, doing, doing. And so this is specifically not the message for people who like to discuss things. This is my message for the doers. Too often overlook these kinds of dimensions because they think they're time wasted. If this is a time waster, talking about values and intentions is a time waster, it's only a time waster because those discussions aren't being effectively facilitated, not because those items should be overlooked.
3: Well, uh, I would remind you of a story I'm sure you've all heard. Uh, you at least heard kind of a saccharine version of this story of the little girl on the beach who is throwing starfish back into the sea, right? And the curmudgeon comes along and says to her, why bother? It doesn't matter what you're doing because you can never save them all. And she, in a very inspiring response, picks up yet another starfish and says, it matters to this one and throws it back into the sea. And and it's absolutely true that everyone, matters, every individual. But that version of the story varies from the Lauren Isley original in some meaningful ways. In the original story, the narrator of the story joined with the star thrower to start throwing stars and it, and it changes the dynamic considerably. In, the, origi- in the, the little girl version, we're left to accept the curmudgeon's view that we can't save them all and, and we're left to feel good to ourselves if we help anyone. And I think in the original Lauren Isley story, the fact that the narrator joined with the original star thrower evokes a more important message, and that is if we have enough star throwers, we can save all the starfish.
0: Great. I want to come back around here to Brian, bring Brian in, and then uh, we'll close with Hugh, and, and I'll wrap it up.
2: Yeah, you know, again, for us, um, if I look at values as expressed in the positioning an organization has and then the values their followers have, eventually they need to come together because that's what aligns followers with an organization, our values, and that plays out in donations, that plays out in support, in volunteerism, in board involvement, and that's why I just drive everybody back to values because at some point somebody's watching and they're, they're evaluating what an organization's like based on their values.
6: I define a leader as a person who gets things done and a leader is a person of influence. And part of transformational leadership is modeling. Model what you want to see happen. And so Practice what you preach. You can talk about values and principles all day long. A leader impacts the culture by living them out. And as the old saying says, the sermon you preach with your life is much louder than the one you preach with your voice. So we as leaders impact everybody in the group emotional system by who we are. And that is how to make your values come alive. It starts with you.
0: We have uh, been blessed with a wonderful dialogue tonight. We've just barely started the discussion. We want you to go over to www.nonprofitperformance.org. Sign up for your free digital issue of the December 2014 issue, special focus on values in the nonprofit world. Thank you to each one of our guests. Thank you to Bob and Brian and David and Devin and Everett. and you. My name's Todd Greer. You have been enjoying the Nonprofit Exchange Special Edition here. Thank you so much for joining us, and go out and live those values.
6: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.